Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Most people would say I was mad. Hello and welcome to a special one-off Q&A episode of the Downhill Second Half podcast. Merry Christmas, one and all. Joining me, Ian DL, a man with a hard drive of pictures of his friends, more potentially career-ending than a late Michael Leary challenge. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. <laughs> yeah. uh, Merry Christmas, one and all. <laughs> and alongside him, a man who will combat any criticism with the same kind of confidence as Stuart Niving when fronting up an angry Barnet sporting postman after the Hearts senior cup defeat at Potter's Bar in 2002. Back off, pal! It's Craig Layton. Criticism. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Yeah hello, yeah, hello, Ian. Hello, James. Hello, all. Merry Christmas. Yeah, hello, hello everyone. It's uh, an episode with a difference, though, obviously, because this is what well, was only planned quite last minute on the back of the uh, response we received to uh, last week's Hive episode, which, uh, yeah, I think I expected a bit of a reaction, but I think we got a little bit more than I'd bargained for, certainly. I, yeah, it was, it was a, it's been a weird week, actually, for that. <clears throat> I don't know, it's strange. I, wasn't really sure whether people listened that much and I assumed if they did it was mainly for the for the people that we got on that's pretty much why we do it but um that was quite good fun you know seeing all the back and forth stir up a little bit of debate so, yeah. yeah yeah I think it's I think we uh had messages sent to us via various mediums either privately or through email or on on the message board or on twitter or wherever um I think quite a lot of lot of it tries to cover a bit of the balance that we provided to the whole topic, and uh, you know, I I would acknowledge some of the things that are said to us about you know, the three of us um, not being perhaps as balanced as we could be, given that none of us go anymore. Um, but compared to someone that maybe does go, um, and I, I, I would I would probably say as well, it's it's not as if there's going to be a consensus on it because I don't think anyone really agrees with what's right and what's wrong at the moment, and um, I guess that's a, some of the stuff we're going to go through go through today yeah i mean i think it's, it's opened up opened up a conversation which has been well it's not really ever gone away has it in the last seven and a bit years or whatever but i don't know it's been it's given everyone a bit of a platform for discussion there's been a few like we say sort of uh veerings off on twitter where lots of different individuals involved in conversations and lots of the message board and stuff so um you know it, it's been good to spark a bit of debate and i think generally apart from uh maybe getting a bit of unwanted attention from some Wildstone fans. Otherwise, we've uh, it's generally all been quite calm and respectful and, and civilised between everyone. Um, and I thought before we get into it, it's actually nice to say uh, thanks to people for a bit, a bit of support and some nice yeah. comments. Because um, I think if we think back to when we started this, what, middle of the year, uh, the initial idea was let's do a podcast about Underhill, record the first one and kind of see, see where we go. It's obviously gone on quite a trail since then. And... Um, yeah, to have had the, the listenership and the response you've had has been great and, it, and it's really appreciated. Because we had so much correspondence people this week was rather than trying to get it in 140 characters of a tweet or replying to it to the message board, be easiest to kind of go through uh, and kind of pick out the main points um, as we go. We, we've tried as much as possible to put it into different categories because there's been a bit of a theme, uh, sorry, a bit of a variation rather in the themes that we've received. Um, so we'll kind of see how we go going through some different things. So... Going back to last week's episode, we kind of started off with uh, talking about the options of a move from Underhill 
prior to where, when it ended up at the Hive, and there was, you know, mentions of Coptal, Hendon, South Underhill. Um, the first one I wanted to draw, draw your attention to was uh, from Sam BFC on the Only Barnet Forum, where he was talking about Coptal versus the Hive, um, and question about maybe the, the Mill Hill East connection on the tube, and also the, the idea that both sites are in a similar area. Um, and why is that any different if it's Coptal or the Hive and where it is? I'm happy. So I think I was the one who uh, mentioned the fact about the, the tube line being being run down from Mill Hill East. And um, look, that that might not have been realistic. The, the source of that one was Tony Cleanthos uh, to me. Um, I think there's probably a group of people actually where he, he, he mentioned that the plans for that were there. And if I remember rightly, and I, I might have got this a little bit wrong, but either the tracks had started to be laid or at least there was, there very much was the plan for that to, to happen. And, and, and he, everything he said at the time was he believed that would have happened. So look, maybe it's unrealistic, but that was the source of that one. And that's what I was basing uh, that on. Um, and then I would say, I would absolutely take the point um, about why is Coptal any better or different to the Hive. I think we actually mentioned that and said, you know, uh, we asked, would we, you know, James said he hadn't even started uh, supporting Barnet at that point, so he probably never would have gone. Uh, so that's relevant. Um, the, the only thing I would, would say is that we've talked a lot about people coming in and, and accessibility being being a big thing. Without that tube line, I would say Coptal has absolutely no difference to the Hive, really. Um, I, I agree. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that was mentioned there, and one of the things we spoke about at the time was the fact that for me, I never started going to Barnet until Coptal was sort of in the past, and would I have ever gone? Probably not. But then, if you're talking, if we're talking in hypotheticals, uh, and you think about Coptal, if if that was an option ten years into my supporting the club, would I have found that any different to the Hive in terms of having issues with the location? Probably not. I think it would have probably been quite a similar situation actually to deal with in the sense of it was a different location. It would have been difficult to get there. All of those things I think are valid. And therefore, from that perspective, I find it difficult to draw too many differences between what Coptal could have been and what the Hive has become, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's, there's been a lot of, I've seen quite a few different messages on various platforms about the location and how important that is. And I think and I don't want to necessarily speak for the two of you, but I feel like the point we were getting across is the location is probably the most pivotal thing to all of it in a lot of senses because the way it's been done and everything else, but the fact that it is where it is, is kind of the issue. I think, um, you know, and I saw someone saying on Twitter that the uh, attendances would go up if the team was doing better anyway. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. If I remember back to the year when they won the conference at the Hive, you know, five, six seasons back. I don't think the crowds, generally speaking, were, were all that. Certainly the Tuesday night games weren't weren't as well attended as they might have been had we been playing those games in Barnet. Um, so I think I think location is absolutely key to it. And that's where I can understand the, the questions around Coptal. I think, you know, to give my perspective on it, I think South Underhill of the three sites mentioned was the only one that, like, you know, stood out as a, an obvious one that really appealed because it was keeping everything in that epicentre of, where, where it was all from, you know, like, you know, the pubs were the same, the, the area was the same, the, the pre-match would have been the same. Um, I think that would have been the key. Obviously, that wasn't ideal. Um, but yes, you know, I'm not sure. And maybe to add one, if I may, one final point. One of the things I think was we talked about the difference around the story, around the move, Coptal versus the Hive. Uh, we said that, well, probably I said, Coptal felt more like growth and ambition. The Hive felt, um, and the story was that we had no alternative. And I think um, 
a bit of me as well struggled with the narrative around we must do it there's no choice you have to you have to come whereas the cop to one felt more like let's there's, there's a good reason why we should move and it just felt like more of a a positive story about why we should go as opposed to reaction to a negative situation which was the hive which I, I i didn't really agree with so there's a little bit around the story of how you get there as well but um location wise I, yeah um, yeah I, I, ian, ian i think the point you made there about attendances is quite a good one and i don't want to go too deep into stats as much as i would like to do so but you know there's clearly a massive difference between the crowds in the 2004-05 season when we went up and the 14-15 season when we went up, both in the conference at two different grounds. I think the difference is about 500 off the top of my head, which when you're talking about crowds of 2,000 versus 2,500, that's actually quite a lot of people. <laughs> and that is about, A, the, uh, the lack of, at the time, uh, of affinity to the club from the locals, and, and people weren't really that interested in coming along to watch Barnet because you didn't have that... Uh, that affinity that the local people in Barnet would have, that they would have that walk-up support on a Tuesday whenever we're playing somebody and you'd still be getting 1,900, 2,000 in the ground. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, just, it's just not there. No, absolutely. And 500 is the magic number, isn't it? They referred to in that original article that we called out from, you know, a long time back about, I don't want to go with some of the 500, don't want to go. And that also tags on to a point that someone made on the message board as well about um, apparently only 20% of Barnet fans... Uh, lived at Underhill, some of the uh, analysis of the season ticket um, members, and, and it was that only 20% were from Barnet. Apparently, that those figures were slightly skewed. I think someone else came back um, and said that actually it may have been at a, uh, a higher number in Barnet, but a small number in EM4, EM5. But I think we did kind of address that point in the fact that none of us are from High Barnet, none of us have lived in High Barnet. We're all from a sort of triangle of areas around it. Um, and a lot of our support, and that's something that Dan said a few weeks back on the other podcast, where like the Hertfordshire fan base, whereas, you know, six miles west, I, I, you know, I'd love to know how many fans were coming from Kingsbury or Edgeware or whatever back in the Underhill days. I doubt, I but doubt. And to reiterate, it's, it's, it's the point about accessibility more than anything else. It's not, you know, you, it can, can people who are Barnet supporters get there? The, the reality is, I, I think if you look at it, a vast majority of the people who were going to Underhill find it very difficult. Yes. But, that's the, but that's the point, isn't it? Like that we, we, I think we've covered that quite comprehensively. The location bit is so important, especially to... If, if you imagine a lot of our support is from Potters Bar, Hatfield, Welling, basically on that train line into New Barnet, again, the hive isn't very accessible. And to the point we were talking about earlier, nor Coptal have been. Coptal wouldn't yeah. have been accessible to that either. So from that perspective... Great both of those things would have been issues in the short to mid-term, I think, and even the long-term. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, um, kind of leading on from that, um, there was obviously, we, we did, I thought, briefly address the, the whole KBA, Barnet Council and the chairman, you know, and everything around that. Um, we had a few responses on this one. Um, we had... Um, his, his Twitter handle is Handler Mick. Uh, we know him, Miguelito, if we're going to go with message board names of the old. If we're doing it properly, days. if we're doing it properly, yeah, yeah. Um, who we all know, uh, from you know, years gone by. He, he was saying that you know, the big factor we ignored was the deterioration of the relationship between BFC and the council. Um, he pointed out actually that South Underhill apparently did get passed in 2002, that was an oversight on our part in that one. Um, 
but that you know the Tories campaigned against South Underhill. Um, you know the Labour kind of on the other side of that, um, and he went further and said that the Barnet Council attitude was pretty vindictive towards the club and antagonistic towards the supporters. It was the example of you know being banned from uh, having a stall at the Free and Barnet summer show, which I, I do remember at the time reading those sort of things uh, and thinking they were quite petulant from the likes of Coleman and the other councillors who were. Uh, named and shamed, if you like, amongst Barnet fans at that time. Um, I don't know what your views are, boys, if you, if you feel we, we, you know, underdid perhaps that whole area. Uh, uh, well, my feeling on this one is that, I, so there'll be people that are much closer to it than me, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to touch on it. So I'm not saying it's not a, not a thing. I think there's, you know, it's probably, I'm sure it's absolutely the case that um, Barnet Council um, were, were were very very difficult to work with if 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 and possibly impossible to work with. I don't you know I don't know. The, the trouble I have with it is that well, certainly none of us three were ever sat in a room where those negotiations and conversations were were going on. But I but I, uh, I but I have watched a narrative play out over twenty years that seemed to contradict itself at points. Um, so I can see why um, it um, I can see why it, it might not have always been straightforward in terms of the, the negotiations with the council from both sides. Um, I, I, there's definitely a, there's definitely the popular story about the, the Barnet Council, which was that it was all their fault. That was the, I was part of the people that believed that during that period of time, but I don't know, I can't, I'm not qualified to, to speak on it. And I suspect a few people that commented on our, on, on the last episode probably were involved in, in those conversations. What I would say is when you've got, um, you know, however many Barnet fans at the time, saying the kinds of things that people were saying about the, the council. So I'm sure there were songs sung and, and I bet every time they canvassed and knocked on doors, it was probably met with every Barnet fan saying, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're the problem. Uh, and there were definitely issues between the, the club um, and the council as well. I can see why there would have been moments where they got a bit petty. I can, I can, I can see that as well. So to, to really summarise that point, I don't think I'm or probably a lot of people are close enough to that conversation to really have a qualified view on the, the balance of, of who's to blame. Yeah, I, I guess I guess some of the comments that would have come back to us are probably around maybe some of the emphasis that we placed on what's happened after Barnet have left the borough. So we did mention that Wingate and Finchley have got pitch, got Astro pitches where we tried to before, and you know uh, one. One point has been made around the fact that we try, we did try and do that, but it, for whatever reason, it was it was always denied for for uh, some perhaps uh, less important reasoning. Um, and also, some some a comment, another comment that was made, I think, by Sam BFC on the message board around the uh, relationship with local residents around the ground, which we didn't really mention before. Do you remember, it was uh, it was brass. Yes, it? I did. Yeah, big time. Barnet, Barnet residents against the second stadium because, of course, the Original South Underhill proposal, if you remember, was to keep Underhill there as a, a, I guess, a training pitch, and then put South Underhill on the on the cricket field. So yeah, there, I think there's definitely things we could have probably gone into a little bit more detail on there. But I think from my perspective, again, I was quite early in my uh, time supporting Barnet at the time, and I was still 15, 16 years old. So perhaps my homework uh, perhaps wasn't as strong as it could have been. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely things we could acknowledge and talk about as, as part of uh, as part of that to be a little bit more balanced about the whole thing because it's definitely not a case that it's 
everyone's it's it's definitely not all Tony Clancy's fault, but I think there's got to be acknowledgement that there's a little bit there of of uh, relationships being strained on both sides. A point we had from uh, John Cosgrove on Twitter is that was the only reason why we didn't mention his name. I think uh, Kevin Mullen pointed out that uh, lawyers don't come cheap, but at the same time, we didn't we haven't said anything. Uh, I don't think could be considered uh, libelous. Uh, I hope not. Anyway, but um, before we do move on from that. Um, I think that is a really valid point that, you know, the generation of supporters that we are, we were all very aware of what was going on at the time. Our understanding in the moment maybe wouldn't have been as, as great as some of the older supporters because we were all teenagers, probably in, you know, in our school days still when a lot of this was happening. And so the grasp of maybe local politics wasn't what it could have been. Um, I do think we maybe were coming out from, like you said, James, the sort of lens of what's happened since and the actions of certain individuals and why they may be quite obstructive to work with. And, and even for some of us, our own experiences, James, you worked for the football club for a little time in the mid two thousands and maybe saw some things firsthand that maybe again, some of our listeners wouldn't be so aware of in terms of the way that uh, certain people are treated by certain individuals in the club. Um, so, so I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot to consider there and I'm certainly not saying the council weren't to blame. I certainly think Barnet council have got, if you like football in blood on their hands, what they've done, certainly. Like, I, you know, I, I totally uh, side with that as well. I just think there probably is a little bit more to the narrative than we ever saw it from a Barnet point of view because of where the news is coming from, which is totally understandable. I do think we maybe should have uh, addressed the, uh, the residents uh, in the previous one because um, I suppose the short answer to that would be, ha, as <laughs> to uh, what's happened to them since. Because, yeah, I, I remember there was at points some quite particularly almost aggressive uh, leafleting and whatever else going on in the local area that was very anti the football club and, uh, you know, highlighting lots of reasons around traffic and noise and litter and whatever else, which, you know, now you've got a huge school on that site. What's that like five days a week rather than once every fortnight? Um, and yeah, no sympathy for those individuals who, who fought that battle. But um, yeah. And, and, and to that point as well, Ian, sorry to cut across you there, there, there was some outright nonsense spoken about, about the club at the time by, uh, individuals involved in that movement, I guess. And to your point, where you where you laugh, I, I do I do have to admit there's a little bit of me that's finds it amusing that the traffic was going to be a problem, the noise was going to be a problem, and now five days a week you've got a school on your doorstep where 1,500 kids turn up every time. I I, I do find that there's a certain irony there that it's, that's maybe a little bit satisfying. I don't know. Maybe that's just a bit stupid. Maybe that's a bit childish. But I you know I, I find it quite funny. I think yeah, the other thing the other thing I say is no one wants a football ground on their their doorstep. I mean, it's not. It's I mean, for me, it feels like almost. Yes, yeah, so so other than some of I agree, James. There was some misleading, possibly just inaccurate stuff said uh, around that around that time, which yeah is unacceptable. But um, I'd be surprised if too much of that movement had had that much to to play with it because I think wherever you plonk a football ground you're going to get residents that say they don't want that on their doorstep it was true of Coptal uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some noise in Harrow as well with the Hive if I recall correctly with people being unimpressed when it became a, a ground that people were going to play at the, the other thing I wanted to say as well on this point as well is because we did very we, we have found ourselves very quickly back embroiled in the um, who said what, what was right, what was wrong who's to blame thing again and actually, if you remember, and I have to remind myself as well, the angle that we approached that particular podcast was from the question, why don't you go anymore? Why, and, 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 it, and, and I think there's probably loads we missed, but that was because 
or as much as anything, that's because the angle we were coming from was to try and explain why we don't go to where the, the football's played now, why we don't identify with it now, not trying to um, to 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 you know, go on some sort of righteous campaign to say that uh, this, that, or the other happened at, at Until. And I yeah. think that's and I, and I and I, th- I think as well. There's also a point around we did two hours. So if we'd have gone more and more into it in detail, you know, we'd have ended up with a three and a half hour, four hour podcast that no one would have listened to. But it was an edit as it was. <laughs> yeah, we had, to, we had to cut it down as it was. There was some stuff that didn't make it. But yeah, it was, it was, it would have been a very, very long audio book if we'd have ended up going into every bit of detail. But I guess there's, there is some important stuff that we missed. And that's, I guess, the point of um, us going through it today. Yeah, I mean, some people would be saying that he said, she said, whatever, all that stuff. We don't know. Don't want to get into a uh, mud slinging of any sort on here, um, but something that certainly veered off from this and the discussion on Twitter, just to just to acknowledge, really, was uh, there, there was one tweet quite early on from a uh, Keith Rowe Snowman, who's quite a, a committed listener to our podcast. We get regular feedback from him, which is appreciated. Um, but you know, he mentioned the whole thing about the BFCSA becoming the BFC. ST, as it was, I think that's what it yeah, is, Sports Trust, um, and the, the politically extreme people, which uh, <laughs> I've seen that uh, <laughs> quoted on a few t- on a few different tweets, but uh, I think we know you meant. Um, and just and questions were raised certainly about about some of the uh, the way in which that happened, and maybe that we didn't delve into it a lot more. I mean, before I pass that over to you, two, I think we were mindful of not not you know calling out individuals who like ourselves are probably you know, just supporters who. Uh, you know, in a lot of instances, we're probably doing what we did a few years earlier, being on the committee and whatever else. And, and you know, that was when they were very in Barnet and doing things and, and, and wrong decisions may have been made and whatever else. Um, but yeah, I mean, what my main point before we go into that is that I just think the, the saddest thing is that there's now no incarnation active of the BFCSA, BFCST, whatever. Um, and I appreciate it's a slog for people to do, but surely. Well, I suppose on one hand, any professional club has enough people who want to do that. And if you look lower, any non-league club relies on people like that to kind of make the club function. So the fact there's no supporter body, I think does tell a lot. Uh, it speaks volumes to what things are like at Barnet at the moment. But, um, you know, I don't know what your two views are on that and then the whole kind of contentious issue around that transition to the trust and what happened there. How much do you want to labour that point, really? So, the, the, for me, the point here is there wasn't a recognised representative body of supporters anywhere. That's what I feel. Doesn't matter whether you call it KBA, doesn't matter whether you call it the Barnet FC Supporters Association, doesn't matter whether you call it the unofficial Barnet Supporters Association, doesn't matter whether you call it the trust. The reality is we, we, we or the club was short of a representative supporters body who may have been able to to challenge the club or in, in a way that might have achieved more. I think that, I, I, do you know what? I think the individuals on the, on the, tr- who, 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 who um, transformed the supporters association into the trust did it. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced really wanted to make that a positive thing for Barnet football club. I really, I really believe that. Um, do I think it was a personally, do I think it was a sensible thing to do? No, I don't. And, and the reason for that is that, um, I think it relies on a lot of engagement and a lot of commitment from a lot of people to work. And I, and I think we've always struggled for that at the, at the football club. So that's that's the reason why. Principally, is it a problem? No, but the, the things that it relies on to work, I don't think we we, we have. Um, and 
And do I think the, the reason that Barnett moved to the Hive, um, or, or no, let's flip that around. Do I think if we'd had a, a supporters association over a supporters trust, we wouldn't have moved to the Hive? No. So the reason I think it's not worth labouring is I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah, I think I agree with that, Craig. And, um, you know, it might be a challenge back to, to us as people that are, you know, a bit more vocal about the hive or have been vocal certainly in the last week or were vocal at the time against in terms of our opposition is, well, if it was that much of a problem, why didn't people step up and, and do something or say something about it? Uh, and it's probably is because a little bit about the fact that there wasn't that body there to do it. And otherwise you just end up with a load of fragmented individual voices that don't add up to a lot. So actually there's not much of a coherent opposition to a move. And in the end, it probably doesn't make much difference anyway, because it probably would have just happened anyway. Um, so it's, it's, it's a difficult one to, 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 to balance really. Um, I think we've had uh, contact from, from one individual, uh, both privately and through the message board and, and indeed on Twitter, Ollie Deed, who's someone that we, we all know on an individual level from, from going back to Barnet um, many years ago. I think to his credit, actually, he's handled himself very well with some of the things that he said in the sense that maybe he wasn't the right person to be involved in it. And some things were done at the time that were uh, not helpful, I guess. And I think I'll probably agree with that in, in the sense of the way that things panned out. But I think just to his credit, I just want to say that it's, it's worth saying, you know, um, fair play for, for, for coming out and saying what he said. And, uh, you know, it's all water under the bridge now, I suppose, from my perspective. Also, you know, and forget whether it, I, I, I don't think I don't think there's right and wrong in all this anyway. I think there's it's there's a it's a blur of both. But what I like most about what he said, actually, uh, in everything I read from him, was the most important thing, which was at all times the motivation and the intentions were positive and and the right ones. Uh, whether the execution or whether even the ideas were the right ones is a matter of debate. But the the intentions and the motives were, were, were all positive. And I think, but the, I guess the point is that. If that body, the trust, the sports association, as it was, was able to mobilise isn't the wrong word, but to collate, I suppose, any concerns about the hive, and it ended up being a case that you know three, four hundred people were part of this thing and disagreed with the move, then maybe that has more weight than the odd back to Barnet T-shirt dotted around the ground on the last day, uh, and 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 the odd thing being posted on the message board or on Twitter at the time. I think if, if there was if there was that united uh, front and voice of people that were opposed to it, then that has more weight than than what ended up happening. I agree with you, but then if you you know, again, I don't think I'm really trying not to speak badly about anything or anyone. I think this is all facts, but you know, you had ex chairpersons of the supporters association actively saying it was the right thing to do. You had people that were heavily involved in leadership roles in the KBA, saying it was the right thing to do. I just can't think how an alternative body against the noise and the, the direction of the club and um, figures that had been really close uh, to the detail and the behind the scenes stuff of the club, all saying that was the right thing to do. I just, I, I can't think of a way that supporters could have been, or opposed, uh, supporters with opposed, opposing views could have been mobilised in such a way that it would ever have had a meaningful uh, impact on the outcome. Just can't no, see it. No, I, I, I do agree. Uh, but I do think that what could have happened might have led for might have led to a little bit more food for thought than was able, that, that ended up happening. 
because in the end it just it just meant that Tony was able to have carte blanche over what he wanted to do with the club, and he, there was no opposition there because it was just a yeah, few people. Because it, it, it was just a few people in Matt Barnett t-shirts. And and as actually and as and as been pointed out in a couple of posts on the message board, you know, it was a handful of people at most. I think there was yeah. there was there was something about there was something about people walking to uh, from Underhill to the Hive for that first season. Do you remember? Yeah. And I think in the end it was about ten people. So when you look at that, if you're Tony or you're the club, and looking at that and going, how much opposition is there actually to this? Was well, ten blokes in t-shirts? So, yeah. and there was do you know what I mean? I remember there was a song as well. You're missing the yeah, song. So that's on YouTube somewhere. It's There's good. I quite like Bring the bees back to Barnet. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with the lyrics very much. Yeah, so. it's, a toe, it's a toe tapper. <laughs> uh, it was indeed a toe tapper. And yeah, lyrically, uh, pretty strong, I thought. <laughs> the message anyway, certainly. But as we know, the hive move happened. And um, what we've had is a lot of response from different people about, well, what was the alternative then? So we've got a tweet here from uh, Tom Slevin, where he was saying, um, you know, what, what would things have been better at Underhill? What you know wasn't fit for purpose? What alternative would there have been? We had a similar similar one from Mill Hill Milky who said, uh, "What would you have done? Sorry, what would have been the ideal solution to Underhill?" Um, you know, if I, if I can take that one first, I think it's a really difficult question to answer. That it's a, it's a fair question totally because of our viewpoint, and I get the way that we've kind of romanticised about Underhill. Maybe we'll come on to that in a moment about you know, why we've had that angle on the place. Um, because I'm, I'm not going to pretend for a moment that I'm in denial about the fact that Underhill was ramshackle, it was falling down, it was this, it was that. I would still cite the fact that teams like Atkinson play at the Crown Ground that are in the top half of League One now. Um, and do I think Barnet, where Barnet probably would be and where Barnet are at this point, Underhill would have been fit for purpose still. Like, it wouldn't have held us back. Certainly, where the direction Barnet are heading at the moment, it'd be one of the best grounds in the league uh, next season if it carries on as it has been so I don't, I don't know about that but um, yeah the difficulty is I suppose we don't know what the ideal solution would have been for Underhill or the alternative the ideal alternative I guess would have been South Underhill but um, yeah I don't know I don't know if either of you have got a better answer than me on what the alternative was yeah it's a difficult one because yeah like you say there, there wasn't really any uh, you know we, we did I th- we did acknowledge last time that there'd been so many so much money spent on looking at various options over the course of time. Obviously, we talked about Coptor, we talked about South Underhill, we talked about all the other sites around Barnet that were that were mooted at some stage, and you know there was there was there wasn't really a viable alternative. But um, maybe this is me being a bit forgetful. But what was the big reason for us not being able to play at Underhill? Were we were we being threatened with ejection from the football league or something like that? Someone mentioned. Priory Grove was the big debate, wasn't it, at the time? It was access, access to the back of Priory Grove, wasn't it, on that on that particular occasion. Um, how that couldn't have been sorted out with some sort of arrangement, agreement with the council, I, I, I don't know. But um, again, this was a point I made before, and it is still a hindsight-driven point. Uh, you know, you had the base of the Hive as the training ground. And I don't see why you couldn't have kept first team operations at Underhill. I still don't see that there's an argument against that. And I think we've had a couple of direct questions. Uh, I don't want to step on any content from later in the show, but a couple of direct questions about, you know, would we have struggled at Underhill on the, in terms of on the pitch? And would you have taken uh, relegation to the, 
the conference south to, to or even lower to stay at Underhill versus what's ended up happening. Um, well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure because you know we're we're on the on the verge of dropping to the National League South now anyway. So so we, there was all this talk about League One, and there's a couple of questions about that as well. But there's always questions about League One. Would you would you come back if we went to League One? But there's no sign of that at all. So actually, this whole move that's been designed to make things better for Barnet Football Club on the pitch as well as off it hasn't come to fruition. So I, I don't really see that as an argument, to be honest. No, I, I agree. It also comes down to, doesn't it? So the, I think the language it was using, the question was fit for purpose. It right, really depends on what you think the purpose is, doesn't it? Because I'm not convinced that there's a, a harmonised view on that, which is another reason um, why it's hard to answer that question. Um, we had a, a, a friend um, of the podcast and a friend of ours as well, personally, who said they, they felt that Underhill was a completely inappropriate place to take children, and not because of the colourful language and, and, and whatever else, but, but because of the facilities. Um, uh, so, you know, and that's, a, and, and that's someone who, you know, would have gone with their, their dad or, or, and family or whatever when they were growing up. So it's, uh, so there's, there's, you know, fine, whatever. But my, my view on it is, is, is similar to yours, James, um, in that the niggles that we're talking about, whether that be Priory Grove, whether that be football league regulations saying you need to get more seats in uh, to, to, to whatever. Those kind of, the, the floodlights, by the way, as well, was another one. My, my recollection is that when we tried to do things piecemeal because it was important for, to, to meet regulation or, or rules, typically those things were achieved. Now, I do take the point that, that it's frustrating and irritating to regularly maybe even annually, have to reapply for things and whatever. I'm sure we're not the only club in that situation, by the way, but I do get that that that, um, that makes it a difficult thing and you're always on the, on the cusp of not being there the next year. But I, look, it's impossible to answer this question without some level of speculation, but, I, but I'm, so I'm going to speculate a little bit based on my personal view. This is not a fact. This is not me knowing things that, you know, and, 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 and um, it may have all turned out to be wrong. My sense is, um, that there was a compromise between the more ambitious things that the club wanted to achieve on and around that site or in and around that site and what was strictly speaking needed and required in order for us to be a functioning first team football club on that site as well. And there's a place in between where we were and, and, and what the club applied for and tried to get to. I think it's almost certain that the council did not match Barnet Football Club in its own ambition for what it wanted there. I, I'm sure that's the case. But um, but look, I, I'm I'm not convinced that you know not having hot water in the toilets and not having chips in the tea hut or whatever was was a big influencer on whether we had low or high crowds or support. I'm just well, what I would say actually. Now I think about it, and perhaps being a bit more challenging of ourselves would be based on the club's ambitions to try and get to League One. Uh, what or where, as it stands would be the better foundation to do it. So Underhill, as it was, or the Hive, where you've got the room, you've got the ability to expand if you need to, um, and you've got all the, the, the um, infrastructure there behind it. You know, Underhill was only ever, the argument I suppose would be, or could be, that Underhill would only ever get you so far. So if you did manage to get, so, so Ian, your point actually about Accrington playing at the Crown Ground in League One, yeah, f- fair enough. Uh, but then if you set that as your foundation at Underhill, 
th- what's next? What's well, next? Now, now it, Barnet Football Club's never likely to make the championship, but you know, we 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 there's no reason why you know, Burton Albion did it. Here's, you know a mean? Question. Here's a question, James. I'm going to flip it round, and I and I might make an answer myself here. So I'm thinking as I I'm going to speak as I think. Of all the clubs you know that invested first in the ground and then tried to get the playing bit later, versus the clubs that got there first and then invested in the ground, where do you, what's the how's that split? Because I can think of you know uh, clubs that have put lots of money into grounds and then ended up with big dilapidated that what's the word <laughs> um, grounds right where and where that then no one goes. We've been to few. Was Telford one? And Darlington, I think, was was one where you go and you got oh you got a nice big ground, no one there, um, or you can't use it. And then I think about clubs like Bournemouth or, or Arsenal Spurs, absolutely waited until they got to the point where they had you know two three year waiting list for season tickets and and the like. And um, then you look at the the flip side of Man United and Liverpool, um, who have built on maybe not Liverpool, sorry, but Man United have built on the ground and built on the ground rather than than move. So when you look at if you look at the case studies around. I can't think of too many that have worked best by, you know, on you know the, the principle of build it and they will come. I just can't think of too many. So yeah, I, so I refute it all. <laughs> Doncaster Rovers might get thrown out, but they've gone back down to come back up again. They got to the championship in that new ground, but then they've kind of gone, they've yo-yoed a bit. On the spot, it is hard to cite a really good example. Even your Rotherham's, they, they bounced between League One and the Championship. They kind of did that. Brighton, maybe well. Brighton did quite a good job. They built the ground and then they, they had a bit of... I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying... I'm, look, I'm not... All I'm saying is if the challenge is um, and the question you threw out, James, was um, if you want to meet that level of ambition, what's your, your best foundation? You, you, you're, you're probably making a fair point that the Hive is a, a better facility. But, but that's, that suggests a football, you know, the, the, the key to a football club's success is purely having a, you know, a, a big ground and everyone will come, then you've got, you generate money. It's not as straightforward as that. And, and, and that's why I think it's not been as successful as, as perhaps it was hoped it would be. Yeah, well, I think we should move on at this point to some of the sort of direct questions we've got from people. It's tied with a lot of what we said there. Because, um, you know, kind of people are taking the time to ask us these things and make sure they, they get the time to... Uh, have it aired. Um, we had two questions that are quite similar but sort of different outcomes, uh, which link to what James alluded to before there. Where we had one from John Errol, which said, Would you have taken relegation to the National League South or step three to stay under the long term? I'm going to tie that in with a question we got from the football trimmings as well, which says, If Barnett turned it around and climbed up to say League One in the next two to four years, would this be enough for you guys to overcome the stance? against the hive um, I mean it's a, it's a two-part question um, you know would you have taken such a decline at Underhill and still be there flip side if the hive belatedly worked as I suppose it was envisioned to would that make you go I'll, I'll come back to it in a moment but I'll let you two go first don't see how they're con- connected and that and this is the point so hit so, so let me caveat that if I was told that to stay at Underhill, you could, by regulation, by law, never go above whatever, you know, one of the, you know, a couple of divisions below where we are now, then absolutely not, because it's clearly not fit for purpose, because you can never have any ambition or aspiration. If we stayed at Underhill, or if we stayed at a, a ground, or if we played at a ground, I felt kept the identity of the club, let's flip it around that way, let's not call it Underhill, wherever that would be, then for me, the, the division they play in is, is a completely separate point and not related. That's my view. 
Yeah, to answer the second question around, let's say Barnet turn it around in the next two to four years. I mean, you can have your view on whether that's a little bit pie in the sky or not. But, you know, let's let's just say that that is a situation that could happen. I think it would be a little bit unrealistic for me to turn around and say that wouldn't be tempting to say, OK, I could I could envisage envisage going back in that time. And would I completely go back on my principles uh, that I've that have stopped me from going so far because the team is successful again? Um, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Uh, it's it's a it's a difficult one. I've got to say, I, I I might be more inclined to go more occasionally than I would now. That's for sure. Um, it's a tough one, but I think uh, if I think of my own perspective, the League One thing. If Sunderland were in town. And people were going, yeah, I might go and have a look at what that was like. You know, 2,000 Sunderland fans at the Hive or whatever. Uh, a bit like when Portsmouth played them in League Two a few years ago. I went to that game and Valletti scored that free kick. Um, I went to that as a sort of curiosity. Um, would I be signing up for whatever the membership season ticket thing looks like? I can't see it at, at the moment, um, despite that, because I don't know if the whole match day experience would be any difference what it is now, despite I, in theory, I suppose the quality of football being better. Going back to the, the first question from John Errol about Underhill, I mean, you wouldn't, I wouldn't take relegations to that level, but I, I think I speak for myself fairly confidently when I say that I, I would more likely have a season ticket watching Barnet in the Conference South at Underhill or South Underhill, as it were, whatever, than I would in League One at the Hive because going back to what I said before, it's, it's a locational thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, and I think that's, that's the thing, which don't remind that it makes you sound like, you know, you're not a proper supporter, you're not ambitious and all that, but I don't think it does. And I'll tell you why I don't think it does. Because I think we made the point, certainly I laboured it, which is not like me at all, uh, a lot on the last one, that it's about identity. And I don't really find that I can easily identify with the thing that goes on at the Hive now uh, in the way that I identified with being a Barnes supporter before. So it's not, I don't think that makes you fickle. I, I, I think it's, it's everyone has their own connection with the club in their own way. But, but and, and I, I, I like the point you make, you know, League One, big club comes in, would I go? I might go, but it doesn't change the way that I identify with the football club. Uh, it, it would still be Barnet at the Hive, not the Barnet that I think about when I, when I think about being a Barnet supporter. Completely agree. I completely agree because... You know, as much as as much as I said, you know, the football is a factor. A lot of the stuff that I we discussed last time, and you know, the angle in which I came from around my issues with Barnet Football Club and its current guys at the Hive aren't going to be fixed by us being in League One. So the location's still going to be the same. It's still going to be a problem. Uh, you know, the the identity that Craig alludes to is still going to be a problem. Um, I don't see at the moment how there's any. Uh, improvement in the match day experience that stops it being a problem. So in terms of things like getting a pint and all the rest of it. Um, so from that perspective, I don't think I would, I don't think I would suddenly, it wouldn't suddenly flick a switch for me and become enjoyable overnight because of those things, unless they were fixed. And of course you can't fix the location. You know if, I I mean? could, if I could just add one thing to, because I think this probably best explains my, my view on it. Forget league, forget division. If you've got a club that maybe was managed by, you know, Grazioli uh, with Darren Curry and Gary Phillips and whoever on the support, on the, sorry, on the on the staff, um, and 
you know, Danny Hart or Mara Valetti or one of these kind of people who, who feel like they're, they're Barnet homegrown involved. And, and if you've got recognisable faces in, in, in positions around the club and you can go to the ground and feel, and it feels a little bit like a connection rather than, rather than all this, you know, on this day last year, you know, rather than on this day 15, whatever, they're the bits that might help to, to you know, make it something I can identify with again. The, the division is irrelevant. Uh, there was a good question from a, a great post I thought on the message board by someone before we even do the question, an incredible uh, message board name, Underhill Bovril Stink. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot of time for that. A lot of time for that. Uh, but he asked, and I think this is a really valid, fair point. He said, do you think if the area around the Hyde Edgeware, as he's called it, had more of a high street slash pub slash buzz about it, then more of the original fans uh, would have kept attending, which I think... 100%. Yeah, is, 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 is a reasonable point. James, anything on that from you? I completely agree, actually. Um, I think it will make me more likely to to um, to attend. I, I did make a big point of the fact that there was nothing around the ground and it, there was nothing that made it feel like home uh, around there. And if there was something, if there was like a row of pubs uh, of the ilk of the Weaver and the Queens as, as, as tragic as they may have been, uh, but as great as they were to, to 18 to 21 year old. And then, yeah, maybe there would be that more, more of an affinity, but the fact that, you know, our group of friends still drink in the railway tavern in Barnet before a game, before getting a cab over. Um, I can't speak for every other Barnet fan, but you know, maybe a lot of Barnet fans go and sit at the ground uh, in the, in the, uh, the, the cafe, the bar, um, over there, but it's just it doesn't really have that same uh, sense of home as as Barnet did. So, but but if there was more there, then maybe there would be. I can't. I well, can't do you remember last, last last time me and you went, James? Was uh, we said last time the Chesterfield game, um, and we travelled into London. Obviously, you're in St Albans to come in uh, to London. We travelled in into town and met at the O'Neills and Kings Cross with a few other people who you know dotted around. And we were outside, I think Newcastle playing at Watford that day. There was loads of Geordies outside. It was a hot day. Like, they were on an away day. And we were kind of in the same boat as them on an away day to go to a home game, which we had a good, we said last time, we had a, we had a good time that day. But um, that's not sustainable. You know, I can't, I can't justify going to King's Cross and standing outside the O'Neills every other week to, to watch the game. Uh, like, it, it, that's, that's not the experience it should be. You know, you shouldn't have going to a home game where it literally was like an away trip, um, you know, and then getting the tube up to Cannons Park or whatever it is from there. Like, yeah. So I, I think the area doesn't help because it's not, it's not, it's not a football area, but it's not, it's not an area. There's not much going on around it. I think, I think that's, that's fair enough. Um, I, I, I do, I do sympathise with the club a little bit there because there's only so much the club can do outside of its control in terms of the area and everything else but then of course that that would that would that would that would lead you to the conclusion as well in in the opposite sense of well do some research on the area and what the club has done within the site put a couple of bars on there a little bit of a restaurant okay yeah i could i could see it i could see why that might work but again the fact that it's so far away and you've got to travel there in the way that you described in um makes it sometimes does make it feel like a local away game well, yeah. and can I, and, you know, to add one point, my dad's 61 now, so uh, he would have been 60 the last time he we went to a, a Barnet game live. And I, look, again, not blaming the club for this point, but um, especially on Tuesday nights, but, but Saturdays in the winter, 
because there's no quick way to get back to this side of London without a bit of a walk, he feels very unsafe uh, going to games as well. Um, and he, you know, he's a he's a season ticket holder. He, he's been a season ticket holder every year at the the Hive um, until this year with COVID and whatever else. But well, this season, but last season, um, and has and has found himself reducing the number of games he goes to because he feels very unsafe going to games. I don't recall that ever being a comment at, at Underhill, or certainly not in my time being there. Or and, and that's not oh, Underhill's great and the Hive's awful. But when we, you know, there's such a package of things that comes with it. Um, and and, it, and do you know what? It doesn't always feel like a particularly safe uh, safe walk back. Especially again, maybe partly because it's an unusual area or a different area, sorry, to the to the one we're used to. So there's a little bit of you know that going on. But you know, I um, I didn't always find it a particularly safe and didn't feel very safe sometimes when I was walking there. So okay, well we're gonna get a move on. So we've got quite a few more questions. There are two kind of points as well that I wanted to draw out from things that people have posted, certainly on the message boards. Um, the first one of those was uh, because you know, we, we've maybe been quite negative about the hive all the way through. Uh, was that you know we've had this rose-tinted view of Underhill, uh, and we you know over-romanticised it and whatever else. And I think we did try maybe on the last one to to mention the fact that we are aware it was terrible towards the end of Underhill. Like I'm in no denial about that. I think I did say that I, I my my regularity of attendance certainly decreased in that final season final. Uh, yeah, final season probably rather than season and a half. Um, I, I, it was a miserable place to be. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to be absolutely open and honest. There were times where I'd go up to a game there, sit in the pad before the kickoff, and a few times I didn't even go in the ground. I watched, watched Soccer Saturday in the pavilion, which I know, terrible supporter, all those things. I, I, hands held well and truly up. It made me really embarrassed on the Lee Harrison podcast when he was talking about Link, beating Lincoln 5-2. I remember that game vividly because I chose not to go in. We were five and up after 50 minutes, which is uh, ridiculous. But um, so what, what I think my, my perspective on that is that I know we have given Underhill more of a positive light than it maybe deserves. But that was kind of the premise of the whole thing. The, the idea of this is to look back nostalgically and think of it fondly. You know, one of my other podcasts that I listened to was about 90s football. And it's all about, you know, glorifying what happened then they don't pick out the bad bits of that and I think that's that's the angle we're coming from I mean no denial whatsoever about how poor the latter stages were um but yeah you know I, I do get we've maybe over glorified and it wasn't perfect uh but the message of the podcast in theory was that Underhill was was fun for us in in lots of different ways yeah I, th- I think that point was made on a couple of posts and I think I I answered one directly um to, to, to one post on the message board about that uh, I, I guess I completely agree uh, firstly about what you're saying and, and uh, we should be under no illusion that the last few years at Underhill was really a struggle uh, any article on the website that you can read um, will we'll, we'll tell you that from what from what we wrote at the time um, and th- I, I think maybe there's a little bit of that that probably led to uh, us maybe not having the fight to be as vocal as we might have been around the move because we'd had the life beaten out of us or, or whatever. Um, that's That may be no excuse and what have you, but um, I don't apologise for romanticising Underhill that much though. Uh, I don't I don't apologise for making a podcast about um, the good bits and the, the fond memories that we all have because let's face it, who wants to 
who wants to hear a podcast about the crap bits? Yeah, maybe we could be a little bit more balanced and all the rest of it, and maybe we should acknowledge that. And I think that's what we're doing now. Uh, but you know, the, the point of the podcast is to be uh, cheerful and remember the good times and all the rest of it, rather than focused on the negatives. Because who, who wants to do that? There's enough negativity flying around Barnet Football Club as it is at the moment, anyway. So why why would you layer it on top with with raking over what was bad about the past? I'm, I'm going to rather boringly revert back to the main theme of everything I've said, both on this one and the last one, I think. The way you identify with a football club is really, really important. That's the big bit. Now, Undertow is one bit of that, but there's there's other bits of that. The new Barnet Curry Centre, the Weaver, the Queen's Arms, um, meeting mates and going with mates, the colour of the kit, the badge, um, the history, having a manager who is connected to the fans where everything's top to bottom all in the one in the one like aligned in the same direction and you know what underhill by itself does not make barnet football club what, what what a silly thing to suggest it's part of it it might actually be for some people not a big part of the identity and therefore it's easier to move from it and still feel connected and it might be a bigger part for some people we're probably people where it's a slightly bigger part but that's not to say that if you're replacing the manager several times a season if you're if there is no clear vision and direction for the football club that everyone can connect to, that the colour of the kit change, I know is a challenge people put on. There's loads of different parts to that that, that that you feel connected to. But how many minutes of games did we lose, did we not go to when Martin Allen was in charge, for example? I mean, when you felt like you had a top-to-bottom connection with the football club, we tended not to miss games, irrespective of results. And when we felt like we didn't have that anymore, we stopped going. So I... You know, and, and there is an element of the results coming in because I think to some extent you can park some of that stuff when the results are going in your direction. But Underhill is not the be-all and end-all of any of this. The connection and the identity with the football club is. And when you change a big part of that and you lose other bits around, or you or, no, flip that. When you lose a big part of that, whether that be Underhill or whatever, you have to find a way to overcompensate in other areas to get yourself back. And that, that hasn't happened. That just hasn't happened. No, I mean, I think, I think that one, there was a really good post, to be fair, on the, uh, what was it, say NetBees, but not in the early 2000s anymore, only buying it for them from uh, MCB. And um, James, I think you, you had communication with them on there as well, um, which was really good. And I think a lot of what we said there, he did address, he talks about the fact that, you know, uh, life changes, the whole experience changes, the going to football aspect of it all is different uh, as you go through time. Um, we also had a really good question from, you know, someone who's a friend of ours, Lego, as a, his formal name, um, which was, was quite wordy, but it's a sort of paraphrase was saying that, you know, did we think that maybe the fact that this happened at the time where we were kind of coming to the end of our teenage years and for us those early 20s made it all less important? I think there was a similar message from MCB here about, you know, was life a factor in the way we we maybe drew a line under things or, or changed different things. Lego uh, referred to the fact that he had a similar thing in his 20s and then kind of came back to it, but that the experience for him, he knew and knowledge would be different going forward. Um, and, and, and his solution to the problem, and, and as much as I enjoy spending time with him, his solution to the problem was, um, you know, to uh, come back and give it a try. Um, and I say MCB's on was, was really, really well thought out as well. The fact that, you know, that 
he he described his being in different phases of supporting Barnet of you know the uh, how did he refer to it? Sorry, it says uh, that he uh, used to come to games and see it as an excuse to get absolutely trolled with friends every weekend, which I think we can all uh, appreciate. Um, but then you know since he's had children and whatever else and brought them, uh, and he's not sure how the, how the future will look for him as well. But um, I'll, I'll give a really short answer to that, which is that. Um, Feeling like a Barnet supporter never changed. The amount that I thought about it or went to games and was active has gone up and down, largely depending on my other circumstances that are going on. But for that period of time up until the, the move, through the varying levels of importance at that particular time, I still felt like a Barnet supporter and still felt, I still looked for results. I still read the website several times a day, still engaged with fans, all those things. Um, for me, this isn't the case that my connection with the club has shrunk. It's that it has, I don't have it anymore. So I, I, I don't think for me, it was a, a, a part in my, a thing about what time in my life it was. Um, I think from my perspective, maybe it was, maybe it was. I think, I think I, I, under my circumstances, you know, I'd stopped going to away games because it was a, a, a choice I had to make around finances and all the rest of it. And actually, I was finding that I wasn't going to as many games as I would have done. And actually, I, I was finding I wasn't missing it. I think it was around about 2010, 2011, Craig, when when you and I were living together, that I, I did back away from from the number of games I used to go to because it was one one point that was made was, uh, it was, it was a good question actually around you wake up um, and you you want to you want a football fix. What do you do? That was and, yeah, Sam BFC there on the message. Yeah, that. and for for many years that wasn't a question. It was wake up, wear a barnet playing. I'm going there. And actually, then when I got to that stage of my life where I had to make different choices and and, and didn't go to as many games, I actually found that I wasn't missing it as much as I was as I was before. You know, there was only so many times I could go to. Stockport, Bury, Rochdale, and watch us lose, and all the rest of it. So actually, yeah, I think naturally, as part of uh, part of that, um, I think naturally I was drifting away from it a little bit, and it perhaps was a reflection of where I was in my life at the time. So, yeah, I, th- I think from that perspective, I would completely agree with some of those challenges that have been levelled at us. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll, we'll come on to the um, that, that question about where do you go now? What, what would you do? Um, you know, from, from all this, there was a few comments similar to it. There's one from John Docker's Shorts on the Only Bionic Forum, which says, um, it wasn't a question as such. We said, your football team is a drug and clearly you're still addicted. Otherwise, you still wouldn't do your podcasts, etc." I think someone else, I think Sam BFC as well, in one of his posts said something similar. Um, for me, I, I, I kind of refute that a little bit because I almost see Barnet now as two separate things in my life. I see Barnet up to 2013, which I invested lots of time and emotion and everything into and then there was that gap probably for me of five or six years and it was only earlier this year through lockdown boredom where I, I text Craig and said what do you think of this idea for a podcast and we had to persuade you that it wouldn't be a shambles um that I kind of thought well you know I don't know for me doing this almost is uh well hopefully it's making people smile it's making people enjoy looking back on good memories and, and, and thinking about times they enjoyed. Um, a little bit of it for me is maybe almost validating 
that time, that effort, that energy, making sense of why those memories are still so good. Because yeah, you're absolutely you know when I when I'm posting the stuff for the for our Twitter page about on this day in two thousand and three, we won two one at Telford. I, I'm I'm really enjoying remembering that. I'm really enjoying remembering Chris Plummer with blood running down his face, celebrating in front of your weigh-ins, me thinking I was the boy because I had the drum that day off you, I think, James, at 15. Uh, and like, it means a lot to me still. That doesn't, unfortunately, for whatever reason, that doesn't sort of correlate with how I feel about Barnet now. That, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the same... I, I'm, I'll be honest, there are times when Barnet play midweek, especially at the moment, and I'm working the week and whatever else... And I forget they had a game on. I look in the morning, oh, Bonnet played last night. And, and, and it's, you know, if I told myself 10 years ago that I'd be, I wouldn't have believed it. It's, 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 it's really sad. But so I do understand why people have said, you, you must still care to make the podcast. But for me, the time we're talking about is a different time in life. It's a different era. It's, it's, it's all a memory, a memory I want to keep alive. I want to keep positive. For me, anyway, it doesn't necessarily correlate with still having that, you know, burning love and desire for Barnet Football Club. Yeah, and I, th- I think on that point, you know, going to Barnet became a habit, a way of life as it was at the time. And maybe I wouldn't be doing that as much as I would nowadays, but I'd certainly be more invested in the club. Were I still going more regularly? And were we still at, were we still at Underhill? You know, you can speculate as to what division we'd be in as a result of being at Underhill now. Uh, but, you know, I, I still feel like I would, to your point earlier on, Ian, be a season ticket holder. I'd still go 20, 25 games a season as opposed to what I do now, which is next to zero. So I still feel like I would be involved more now if it was if it was um, at Underhill. Um, I still feel like there would be that attachment there, which I just don't have anymore, um, regardless of what stage in life I'm at. I'd still have that connection, I think, if if it was if it was at Underhill. I wanted to do the podcast because I thought it'd be really cool to speak to people that were my heroes growing up. I love the podcast because I get to spend time with both of you doing it. That's the, for me the, the the bit I enjoy the most out of it is the the bit of camaraderie around it. Probably the thing that brought us all together as friends in the first place and. And probably the things that, you know, the thing that un- underneath it all pins us together, e- even though actually we've, you know, have, we have a friendship beyond that. And actually that links in a bit to what I got a text from Keith Doan in response to, to this, to, to the Hive one saying, I felt you missed a bit about um, going to do something with mates. And it felt like fewer people were there. So you, 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 you didn't, you, you know, the Hive has an element of not having the same group of people. And then you miss a bit of that. Really, really good point. I thought that he, that yeah. he made there. Um, but I agree with exactly what you said, Ian. Um, if someone asked me who I support, I still my answer is I'm a Barnet supporter, and I find it I, I find it excruciatingly painful every time to feel like I have to explain why I, you know I, I feel I still feel inside like a Barnet supporter who goes to 30 games a season. That's how I still feel, and I realise I'm not one of those and haven't been one of those for a long time, and I that's I struggle with that a lot, but. There's, do I still feel like a Barnet Football Club supporter? Absolutely. Do I think the thing that goes on at the Hive um, is is that? Uh, no, I just don't. Uh, I'm mindful of time, so I'm going to try and condense some things in here. We had another question from the football trimming. So we've been very uh, supportive of all our stuff we've done on Twitter and Instagram and everything else. And that, so thank you for that, guys. Um, they had one which said about what would be the 
true nail in the coffin to spoil Barnett completely, would you know, if it was Harrow Bees FC, would that that be the end? Um, I'm not going to labour this one too much for me. I mean, if something like that happened, I, th- I think you might see action from those who have gone already and, and something different for that. Um, it, it made me really think what, what would be the final nail where I completely detached myself from it in, in its current guise. I don't know if you two have got very much sleep. The Wesley thing, yeah, yeah. I mean that that was that was a joke, and I get some people saying on the message board, you know, does it matter if we pointed uh, pointed a pantomime villain as our manager? Yes, it does to me because he, uh, you know, in my time supporting Barnet, certainly, and I think in the twenty first century, Barnet fans, is there any other team's manager that we've sung songs about when we're not playing that team? I know. <laughs> um, yeah, but then his, his is all like, yeah, a whole joking, different I, story. I, I, I agree, I'm joking. Uh, you know, he, he's the ultimate, never mind pants up, the ultimate villain, you know, a, a very disliked man by Barnet fans. And the fact that all happened, and I, you know, I sort of justifying how it happened. Like, come on, the chairman's got to use his judgment there. He's been in the game for 26, 27 years now, at the time, maybe 25. You, he must have known what that would do, and 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 actually, from Wesley's point of view, he was doomed to fail unless it went massively well. Uh, because I remember at the time, some people saying, "Oh, you know, he'd improve things a bit." He was on a hiding to nothing himself. The whole thing was an absolute omni shambles. Like, just what 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 was going on there? Uh, yeah, that, that that was that was one of the bigger nails in the coffin. I, I think, to in the interest of time, and to answer the question very directly. What would be the true name in the coffin to support Barnet, stop supporting Barnet completely? Uh, yeah, name change, change the name of the club, change the crest, and that's it. I'm, I'm that's that would that would be uh, shut the case, as it were. Yeah. Never mind Amber playing in pink or something as well. But uh, yeah. we'll move on because uh, we've, got, we've got a few, a few lighter-hearted bits to come as well. But I do want to finish off with the question people are taking the time to ask us. So. James, you mentioned what Sam BFC said about waking up on a Saturday and, and watching a live game. We also had uh, something similar from James Coe 2 on Twitter, um, who asked if any of us have children and where we take them to watch a match. Um, you know, do we go to away games still? Do we go to any other football club or support in the pub? I mean, I'll take it first that I've got a very young daughter. She's not even quite six months yet. In a couple of years' time, I'm what I would say is that when football's on the telly, she's more quiet than other times. So I think she is going to be a football fan. Um, where her allegiances will be, I'm not sure. My wife's a Watford season ticket holder, so we've got that difficult conversation to come up as well. Um, but, you know, and we, we mentioned last time we'd love to take our children or potential children to Barnet. Um, I'm not sure what that would look like in, in time to come for me. Uh, but more in the present day for us, what have, you know, you two, I'll come to myself, you know, what have you done to kind of, fill the void as it were and how has it been filled not a great deal to be honest um it's, it's a weird one it football did did drop off the agenda a little bit after barnet stopped being a thing i think again actually to to go back to the point that was made before around changing life priorities and stuff saturdays are just filled with other hobbies now like running or or golf or something like that which just happened to start uh, around about that time um, if I do go to football, uh, it's it's a little bit more few and far between now. But Ian, you and I uh, went on a little bit of a mission before you went abroad to to do the '92, and I think Craig, you weren't interested in that, and that's fair enough because uh, you know that was a bit of an ask, especially when we were setting off, <laughs> yeah. setting off, 
setting off to places like Oldham and Fleetwood on a Saturday morning was uh, a bit of an ask for anybody, to be honest. But um, yeah, look, the odd non-league game. Every so often, I live about 200 metres away from St Albans City, so I, I very occasionally take a game in over there. Wingate and Finchley. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would go to five to ten football matches a season now at a push where it was previously 50 plus. Well, I'm in a weird situation because living in Finchley Central, my local professional club is Arsenal. Uh, or at least the most successful one is maybe not as the crow flies, but certainly as the, the train drives. Uh, it would be uh, it would be down to Archway and to Arsenal, um, which I have to say I have a passing interest in, uh, but n- not more than that. Um, I'd rarely wake up with needing that football fix because the the Barnet was a bigger thing than just a football fix for me. But um, in more recent years, the thing I've enjoyed probably Ian, you live in Muswell Hill, I live in uh, Finchley Central. Wingate and Finchley is somewhat um, you know sixty forty probably sixty or more percent nearer me but it's somewhere in the middle of us and James as well uh, when you've driven down for that it's quite a nice place to walk have a beer um, you can have a really good chat and catch up and watch some live football at a reasonable price it's, it kind of does that for me there is no passion in that though I would, I would add that though. when I've gone to, you know we've gone to Wingate we've enjoyed it we've seen ex bonnet players there mm. Richie Graham in the past recently Shane Gore uh, post podcast was really nice to have a quick chat with him about, about everything Um you know, I, I was quite cautious about sort of exposing myself on here as, as you know, someone who supports two clubs. But I was taken to Arsenal as a five or six, six year old, sorry, um, long before I went to Barnet. Uh, and and not, not just somebody who went to one or two games a season, you know, before I started against Barnet, I, I think the season before I missed four home games at hybrid all competitions. I, 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 I have always been an Arsenal fan. and. In the height of my Barnet supporting, though, Arsenal got put back to going and watching that on the telly completely. I think I did a four-year stint of not going to a live game. Such was my in itness with Barnet, for want of a better phrase. Uh, since we moved to the height, yeah, I've gone to Arsenal a lot more. Um, I'm fortunate. I know someone can get me tickets for away games. Um, I've enjoyed that as an occasion, a day out. Uh, does it fill the void? It's a different kind of feeling. It's a different feeling. I, I, I will always have an association with that club because of my dad, because of my upbringing and whatever else. Uh, but I feel that, you know, I put myself in that almost proper football fan bracket. I do enjoy lower league football. I really uh, miss the kind of regularity of, of those home and away games that we used to do. Um, I, I get sticked a lot of it because I also follow, when I was up at Union Nottingham, I went to watch Hucknall Town, non-league team player. I go and watch them once, twice a year, still really enjoy that. So I've got, outlets if you like for football um but i do kind of that, that main point of waking up on a saturday morning for me personally you know even now i've got no one stopping me saying you can't go to football um sometimes i do wake up on a saturday morning and think oh i, I, I wish i had that that routine that kind of it's, it's there gonna happen because you know you don't get the accessibility with a top level club that you do with with barnet certainly from a financial point of view um, and like I said, I have been down to like Wingate and whatever locally, but I don't feel an affinity to it. I feel that it's just a way to pass the time and enjoy seeing my friends in the football context still. So I do know from a lot of the feedback from people that we don't know me as well, but on the periphery and our friends who do so, I'd like to see a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe have a pint with different people. So, so who knows? I said last time, I'm not saying I've never stepped foot in the hive again. Um, and I'm sure when we do, it will all be hopefully a very positive experience, but... 
when that will be and what are we for, I, I don't really know. Okay, well, I think that's enough of the uh, the serious stuff for now. I think we could labour these points for hours, days, whatever. Um, I, I, yeah, again, thank you all for listening and uh, getting into a dialogue with us. Hopefully we've answered some questions here. Again, we're always welcome to more feedback and comments from this episode uh, going forward, but I can assure you we won't put out another Q&A next week. Don't worry, that's not the, uh, the way the podcast is going. What our original plan was for this week was a kind of Christmas special, something a bit fun. So um, when we had the response we had for the Hive episode, we thought, well, let's let's ask for questions of any sort from people uh, to come in. Obviously, the majority were based on the, the themes and topics of the last episode. We've had a few more lighthearted ones, which I thought we'd, we'd, we'd broach into now uh, for a bit of enjoyment. And then we've got, I've got something special planned for you boys to uh, to finish finish today's episode uh sorry, I think. See, see us into christmas um our first lighter question comes from the uh, former commercial manager mr kevin mullen who's a uh, regular engager of ours on on twitter um and his post says as follows one for sponsors engagement um I'll, I'll read the whole list then we'll break it down did any of the three of you get a job via total recruitment by jbl speakers bulk up with maxi muscle Get signs from Big Phil, daylight signs. Uh, book a holiday with Sunstar Leisure. Plonk about flowers in a pot vase, and surely you all perused a loaded mag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anything in there that immediately jumps out for either you two? I've bought JBL speakers on more than one occasion, and genuinely, when I see JBL written down, still feel quite warm about them. Yeah, actually, Martin Allen shirt, weren't they? JBL, I had the home anyway with that. James? Yeah, I remember the guy from JBL that was a sponsor giving us loads of money towards that flag that we, uh, yes, that we purchased years ago. Do you remember that? I'm sure James I've had... I'm, I'm... James Roth is his name. Was was that it? Oh, well, well remembered. I could always trust you to remember a name like that. But no, yeah, that was that was one. I'm sure I've had JBL speakers somewhere in the past. Uh, but other than that, uh, perusing Loaded Magazine, yeah, of course, obviously... Uh, some very insightful articles in there that you obviously read as a teenager that are obviously very important and very uh, interesting and intellectual and all the rest. Um, what else was there? I don't think I've got a job by total recruitment. No, I think that's a bit before us. What one that, uh, Craig, when you and I lived together, we definitely had Maxi Muscle yeah. in the yes. house. As I, as I recall, it wasn't what we bulked out on, though. <laughs> no, trying to lose weight with Maxi Muscle. Yeah. No, uh, we did have Maxi Muscle... Because we were a couple of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but probably for the power of advertising on the bonnet shirt, I would yeah, say. It helped. So thank, thank you, Bullers, for that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, yeah, never booked a holiday with Sunstar Leisure or the flowers in the pot bars. We, we mentioned it on one of the Johnny <laughs> Flynn tweets, one of his other businesses around the time. didn't make the shirt sponsor because I think pot bars was one of uh, Cleanthus's own companies. It was the, the banner going around the, the side of the ground, the, the green advertising board. Orphan Bears. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I still don't know what that is. Is that a zoo thing or a cuddly toy or I'm not clear? I don't know. Adopt a rescue bear? If you, yeah, and if you look for pot vase now on, on Google, it was the amazing folding vase, you remember? There's no sign of it. You, you can't find anything. The only thing that pops up is, well, pops, uh, is... is the odd Barnet shirt from 0607, whatever that season was. I do, I do have a recollection of Anne Percy saying she had one though. So, oh, you know, I admire her taste. Remember, um, uh, as well, it was always the case that, or generally always the case that we'd go without a sponsor 
for the first couple of weeks of a season. Yeah. And I remember buying that shirt from the 06-07 season without the sponsor on. And I seem to remember the club were offering out um, like iron-on versions of the uh, Pop Vars logo to put onto the shirt to make it the genuine article once we'd actually been sponsored by one of Tony's own companies. Yeah, no, it's all right. I'll have the shirt as it is, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Title win season, that, with BarnetFC.com until about October, and then, as you mentioned, Phil from Daylight Signs did a cracking job. Yeah, lovely great as well. Very good signs around that time. <laughs> great signs. Knocking around great signs, the best of all the signs. Uh, Kevin Mullins also given us a link to uh, a little shoot that happened at Underhill for uh, FHM Mag, which is quite controversial because it was post-loaded. It's like getting Graham Wesley in. Two fingers up at Loaded, perhaps, uh, which uh, I can't remember if I may have stumbled across this floor around the time in 2004, <laughs> age 15. Yes, I think I might have done. Uh, where, yeah, we've got, well, up, you know, we'll, we'll retweet this after we've done the episode and I'll let the, uh, the sound bites speak for themselves. Got a lot of time for Kevin's uh, comments on the show. He's, I, I enjoy what no, you have to I've say. really enjoyed the insights and the, the little quip. Do you reckon he would make a good guest? Kevin, have a think. Yeah, yeah, series three. Hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and, and he also mentioned there's a Yorkie advert. I've had very, very reflections yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Um, he, his third question I maybe won't do publicly about some of the uh, tests that were offered by the club through okay. um, some of our non-main sponsors. Our, sorry. <laughs> sorry, what? Have a look at the Twitter. We don't have the time. Maybe What's for that the ballpark area? <laughs> <laughs> Moving strictly on. Um, we've got another question here from uh, Daniel, or at Newland, who uh, is a very regular uh, contributor to our Twitter feed, and uh, his support is much appreciated. Very, very simple question for the three of us. Uh, which I'll split into two parts. First one, favourite Barnet kit? All right, I'm going to go with, just because, like, let's be, let's do this. the first one that came to mind. You can do home and away. All right, okay. So, right, away kit, going to throw it right out there, the, the green and white um, that Friedman played in. So, that I... 95, is that? Yeah, probably, no, yeah, it would have been 94, 95. So that, that green and white away kit. Favourite home kit? Uh, the first one after we got relegated, the black and amber, thick black and amber stripes. Yeah, Maximus, good shirt, that. That's, that's, the, that's the first one that came to mind for me as well, actually. That was a really smart kit, the, the, the black and amber, like, thinner stripes. Um as we made such a big deal out of playing in amber, actually, one of my favourite kits, to be honest, was the 0708 Centenary uh, Underhill kit, the golden, golden black one. You, you guys might disagree with me, but I actually thought that was quite a smart, smart effort. Um, I'm racking my brains for away kits that I liked. Um, there aren't many that really pop into my head from from my time going in terms of away kits. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you think. Um... I think mine, I'm trying, I wanted to vary it, but I think my favourite two are from the same season, but I think it, it purely is based on when you got into it, it was the 99-2000, the loaded shirts, which admittedly, from what Craig said last week, quite orange, the one with the, so I think I think Dan's book right, was looking like we had braces down the side. Of the black, black, black was the one, wasn't it? Very similar to the Arsenal, yeah, yeah. Dreamcast kit, but it was loaded on the front. I, that, that kit was the first ever Barnet shirt I owned. Um, and about 10 years later, I bought the away kit on eBay, the white one. I love really that shirt. Really lovely, plain oh, white if shirt. If anyone's got that shirt, can I have it? I got it on eBay for about 20 quid uh, in 2008, nine sort of time. 
that sort of stuff now on like plastic football shirts for 150 quid. I've also that. got from the year before the blue away kit, which is worth a mention. I've got a player worn one of them. I got in the club shop for ten pounds. It's got eleven on the back, so uh, it's pre-squad numbers. So Curry might have worn yeah. it. And Wilson, ten English pounds in the Barnet Club shop in two thousand four. Great bit of business. There. That's quite that shirt. Um, I, do you know what? I had I had Milky on the back of that shirt. So Mill Hill Milky. Uh, you're not the only person with that nickname. I was uh, given that as well. And that that home shirt you referred to, I had Tom's twenty on the back. So uh, both equally funny. Yeah, no, no, really <laughs> good shows. But I do think the 0102 stripes uh, is well worth a mention. Uh, Jimbo, any, any thoughts on, on a good away kit yet? Uh, yeah, actually, there's the, the one that remind, I reminded myself while you're talking there is a little bit later on. It's the one that atop the website with Mark Hughes celebrating that goal at Burton. I that thought that, that that white kit with the purple underlining was quite smart. Although we did have some pretty bad ones around that era. Yeah, well, I know that, we're going to talk about worse kits as well, where that, we had white with the odd splash of green on the arms and everything else. It just didn't make any sense. Well, that's, that's the second part of Daniel's question was, uh, what's the worst Barnet kit we've had? Home and away again. Go on. Do you know what? The worst one, what's the O'Neill's on when it was all printed on? Uh, 0203. It fucking appalling. It looked like you bought it from like a street market in Turkey or something. <laughs> <laughs> That was bad. But do you know what, actually? Is it, how about this for some fucking controversy? Um, I don't like our... Oh, when did we get promoted? <laughs> oh, four, oh, four, four, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that one. It never fit well. It always you, makes you look fat than you are. I'm not saying I need. Uh, I never liked that shirt. No, the, I, the one was a lot better as well. I have to agree. Oh, 203, oh, 405. Both, both of the kits by O'Neill's. They were not great kits by any stretch of the imagination. Was that Kevin? Was he involved in that? Well, I don't know. Kevin. Sure Kevin, what have you done? <laughs> I think, see, James, I, mean, I, I didn't like that 100-year one, the gold one. Not for me. But I, I, I can see what they're trying to do, but it wasn't for me. And I think the worst away one is probably a bit of a tie between, yeah, there's one, I think, 10-11. They had a green and white away kit where the sponsor was greenfleets.com. Yeah. I, 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 we wore it at Burton for that 4-1 win, which was great, but otherwise probably a lot of defeats in it. Uh, it's probably tied with the kit, which probably has a good memory for us because of Soccer AM. But how mm. on earth that purple and grey monstrosity uh, got past designers and whatever else for 0910. Oh, I like that one. Nah, absolutely you know what, though? And the fact I, we went on national television full kitted up in that. Us going on there, us going on Soccer AM wearing that shirt is the biggest travesty since Barnet playing away at Man United in purple and black. What a fucking embarrassment <laughs> that was. Well, that was Kevin again. Kevin! Kevin! He's going to love that. We're going to get tweeted straight away. Uh, yeah, I, I think purple actually has got some potential in it, but actually, you know, the, the the execution of that kit that you spoke about there, Ian, the purple and silver slash grey um, thing that we went on to Stocker AM with, the fact that we couldn't get provided a home kit for that and we're, we're all sat there in some sort of mauve purple nonsense, yeah, it didn't really work out for the best. Uh, although some of us some of us got the ball in the hole, didn't we, Ian? Monstrosity. Yes, yes. I don't want to praise the fact that I did score in Soccer AM and others didn't. But well, that's, that's maybe a, story, fucking harsh, isn't it? a story for another day. And there's good feedback on Kevin's tweet about the uh, the sponsor. I enjoyed reading, again, going back to one of our listeners in Rio in South America, saying that uh, JBL is now massively pushing into Brazil 
maybe because he walked around the Copacabana in his 2003 shirt. Uh, the 034 shirt is pretty solid shirts, the JBL on the front. The Red Away kit from that one's worth a mention or we're still mm. on kits. Very, very smart indeed. Yes. Um, a, a final question of this variety before I come to on my own for you two. Okay. <laughs> um, from Ryan Barney 86 on Twitter. No idea who that is. <laughs> um, we won't do this on too long, but we're taking questions. Would you rather let Marlon King take your wife on an all-expenses-paid weekend to Paris or go on a city break to Aleppo with just Tony Clientos? James, I'm coming to you on that one first. The last one. (laughs) 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 The last one. I I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. And you, Craig? I'm not married. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's his caveat. To, to finish that, that bit, which I think is best we skirt over quite quickly. Thank you, Ryan. Um, yes, I'm also going on a break with TK. Uh, I feel we'd have, we'd have plenty to talk about, at least, even if we wouldn't agree. You'd have a lot of common agree on everything. No, to be fair, your missus a Watford fan. She's probably she, a fucking she, brilliant she, time in Paris as well. You can't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tony, I'm you, not picking up the pieces of this one. <laughs> Tony, get your sunscreen. We're going on holiday. Um, okay, and I think that, that generally covers it. If we missed anyone's questions on this, I do really apologise. We're really grateful for all of them. And um, oh, like I said at the start, the comments from people this week, absolutely brilliant. I'm going to mention Hayes Bang on Twitter, who Love regularly gives us lots of good good feedback. I want from him just before we came on air today. So thank you very much for that and others as well. Um to finish this episode, though, in the spirit of Christmas and fun and whatever else, <laughs> I thought I'd, uh, I'd devise a special BFC Christmas quiz for you both. Um, oh, God, this could be anything. <laughs> the source of this, uh, around the time we started the podcast, I, I had a bit of time on my hands, like all of us did in lockdown. You, with time uh, in your hands, is a phrase that terrifies me. More than anything else. Well, I, I, I sifted through my many Barnet programmes of the early 2000s. <laughs> uh, I recently came back to that collection with this in mind, and I've got 10 questions for you both around player interviews slash manager notes from the programme uh, in the early t- to mid-2000s. Uh, and we're going to see who does better out the answers from it. So um, if you can get your pens and paper ready, boys. We'll, uh, we'll see who the uh, the champion of Barnet programme content from 2000 to 2007 is going to be in the special Christmas special. It sounds like a round off Pointless, but a really bad episode of Pointless. <laughs> it's very niche. Well, extremely niche. Even for us, this is extremely niche, but hopefully well, you're still listening and enjoying. Everyone can play along at home. You're more than welcome to do so as well. Uh, the format will be that we do the 10 questions first. You'll answer them independently and we'll mark our answers together to see who our, our winner is. The prize is pride. So uh, enjoy that. Um, I'll make a change. So uh, <laughs> and we've both got something to record our answers on so that we don't, don't lose anything. Phones are fine as long as we're not Googling. Now I'm going uh, I'm I'm to use, use Microsoft Excel. That's fine. I don't think you'll find the answer to these on Google. Um, no. 
Okay then, right, so uh, fingers on the proverbial buzzers, Jack. Uh, fingers on the buzzers, or write your answer down. Which one is it? Just going for the quiz show. Thing. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Right, let's, uh, Go on, let's make start. James, if you want to put any sort of game show jingle on this, that's, that's most welcome. Okay, question number one. What did Ben Strevin say his position was in his interview in a programme during the 2004-05 season? What did Ben Strevin say his position was in a programme during the 04-05 title winning season? I've got an answer to this that I reckon has got a chance. Listen. Number two. In the same season, what was Dean Sinclair's favourite TV show? <laughs> what year? 0405. Just imagine everyone at home with their pen and paper. Fifteen years ago. Um, so we're going to go on to the third question. We've got a few more from that same series of questions because those 0405 questions are particularly of a high quality. So our final one for now from that season. Which three things made Giuliano Grazioli laugh in 2004? Um, I'll give you a bit of a clue. Two of the three things are Barnet players, uh, and one is a TV show. I'm going to help you out even more because it's Christmas. The two players he mentioned were no longer at the club in 0405. The three things that made Gratz laugh in 2004, two players, ex-players I should say at that point, and one TV show were listed. Number four, I've delved back a little bit further into the archive from the programme, I think, and to Shrewsbury in April 2000. Um, what would Marlon King's alternative trade be if he wasn't a footballer? Good to go for the next one? Yeah. yeah. Number five, what was Guy Lopez's nickname amongst his teammates? Oh, according, according to the programme. I know where you're going. According to the programme, what was Guy Lopez's nickname amongst his teammates? Oh, hang on. Oh. Oh, I can't write that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mental quiz. We're only halfway through it as well. Come on, man. Right, number six. This is one of my favourite ones. Name Ishmael Yakubu's three interests away from football. And again, I'll help you. Two of them are sports, one of them's a non sport. I've gone Yakubu, it could be Yakubu, couldn't it? Yakubu, I think, though. No. I think, well, I think written down and what we've learned. I think we've learned. Yeah. I think we've all, we've all learned something. I think mean, it's time Yakubu. Different time out. Number seven. And again, I'll, I'll give the context of in 2004. What makes Ian Hendon laugh? <laughs> God, I can't write half the things I think probably make him laugh. Um, is it one? Is it, how many things are there? One. Just one thing. Just one. Just one thing. Well, makes, just, just one thing makes the end and laugh. Yeah. Okay. The next next three questions are um, finish the sentence questions. <laughs> okay. From from program notes. Um, so the first one, number eight. Finish this sentence from Paul Fairclough's program notes against Plymouth Argyle in the Carling Cup, second round of September two thousand five. This is after we just lost one look Wickham. The players have desire passion, determination and ability. We have a small but really together squad. A truly fantastic leader in Skipper Ian Hendon 
and all the ingredients to blank, 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 blank. So we've got all the ingredients to blank, 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 blank. Four words. Question number nine. Finish this sentence from Martin Allen's FA Cup programme notes in Stadium Celtic in November 2003. In preparation for this FA Cup tie, we took all our players into London on Monday to watch a film in Leicester Square called Blank, 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 Blank. I think, I think we know this one. Which, yeah, which film did Martin Allen take the team to see at Leicester Square? I think I actually think well. I don't know the name of the film, but I remember two words from it. I think I've got a couple of blanks, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Any, what's the points for a couple of blanks? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the answers. And the final question, number 10. What did Craig Clayton suggest that we all join the BFCSA in doing <laughs> in his programme notes on the BFCSA page against Atkins and Stanley in February 2007? <laughs> what should we all join the BFCSA in doing? Oh, when was it? When, what date was it again? February the 10th, 2007. How many words is it? Lots, <laughs> uh, probably. Seven. Oh. Uh, I'm paraphrased. Some of those are very small words. <laughs> Alright. I've got a link for the words. I've got ten bad answers to your ten frankly quite bad questions. Come on then. Okay then, right. Let's, uh, let's find out the answers then to the uh, downhill second half Christmas quiz 2020. Number one, what did Ben Strickland say his position was in his interview at the programme during the 0405 season? Anyone like to venture a guess on that one? I've got an answer. I, I'm going with the combination of number 10 stroke Dennis Burkamber. James? I think he might have been quite self deprecating at the time and said the bench. <laughs> he was neither of those things. He was pretty salty, if you like, because he said, Ask the gaffer. <laughs> oh, that's a trick. That's, that's quite, that's quite, front, uh, he's fronted out there, hasn't he? Um, okay, number two. What was Dean Sinclair's favourite TV show? Craig, we'll go to you first. What was Dean Sinclair's favourite TV show? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. EastEnders, I wrote. <laughs> James? The only false and horses. <laughs> You're both the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> These. Declare after training Monday to Friday, 5.20 away on BBC Two. Loved a bit of Anne Robinson being Sinclair. <laughs> Each to their own. Um, right then, number three. Which three things made Gratz laugh? James. Um, when you said it was players that had left, because I, I was convinced that Liam Hatch would be one of them, but I've gone for uh, Joe Gamble, Tony Taggart and um, EastEnders. I don't know, I couldn't think of anything. Jimbo, I can tell you you've got one point from your answer. Oh, great. Tony uh, Saga, is it? Craig, let's hear yours first. Well, I had The Office as the show. I had uh, Mark Williams modelling. And I had... <laughs> 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 and I had Simon King in bed with Danny Maddox. <laughs> as well. All very good answers. The only point gained out of it is indeed, James, Tony Taggart. The other two things that made Gratz laugh which uh, very topical in 20 
Peter Beadle oh. and uh, Little Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Both very topical. Uh, they call me Bubbles, darling. Um, okay, number four. Marlon King's alternative trade if he hadn't made it in football. Craig. Now, I know Marlon could never have known this, but I've gone with teacher after his weekend away with your missus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Craig. James? Uh, I went. I, I tried to be a bit more logical with what was going on at the time in the music scene, so I reckon Marlon King might have fancied himself as a DJ. <laughs> Marking's answer genuinely was signing on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Honest. Well, yeah, respect that. Um, now, Guy Lopez's nickname, or Guy Lopez, you can see there the pronunciation, the nickname might be an issue. Um, what have you written down, James? <laughs> Guy Lopez's nickname. Well, if I had written stuff down, I would have crossed a few of them out, given some of the rumours about <laughs> Gilo at the time and the, and the PG nature of this uh, this podcast. Um, I, I, no, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to read any of them out. I'm just going to go with what I think I'd... No, I... No, Gilo is what I went with. Uh, <laughs> I avoided... I don't know. So I went with G-Star... <laughs> Or Pierre, <laughs> or something from <laughs> or something from Hello Hello. It says here, Guysy. Guysy. How did you get that? What a rubbish answer! Yeah, and all, all the speculation. G U Y Z Z Y was what it said in the program. Oh. Uh, James, I think you want something. Ben Sherman's called him Hosepipe. <laughs> we'll, we'll that was that what I wrote there. down. I wrote that down. <laughs> I did have Hosepipe in my head. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, well, should have said it. I mean, it would have been wrong, but it would have been funny. Um, right, moving on to the second half of the quiz. Now, Ishmael always came across as a quite quiet, calm and measured gentleman. Which were his three best interests away from football, Craig? Well, I've got cricket and squash, squash as the sports. And I've put um, Reading or Reading. So you can choose whether it's Reading Festival or Reading, because I thought I'd, like, maximise my chance of answer. Jimbo? Yeah, I, I also put reading because there's several photos of Yakubu in the past and in the present with his with his glasses, obviously reading glasses, clearly. Um, and I also had him as some having some quite cultured sports amongst his hobbies. So I went with tennis and uh, snooker. I reckon he was a right uh, right useful snooker player, but maybe not. Very very rational answers from both of you, but I'm afraid no one's got any points here. Oh. Uh, Ishmael Yakubu's three interests away from football. Badminton. Oh, that's sounded out right. I'm not contesting this one because you, you didn't say it. Table tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and his other hobby is drawing. Drawing. <laughs> not painting. No, no drawing. 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 Do I not get, get half a point for that? No, you don't go. That's what I just said. You're not, we're not contesting it. You're winning 1 0. Accept it. Your answer is bullshit, mate. <laughs> number seven. <laughs> What makes Ian Hendon laugh, Craig? I'm not saying half the things that I suspect. Only fools and horses, like Chris Emery. Jimbo? <laughs> well, in 2000, this was 2004 this was from, right? Yeah. But I've preempted what was the truth. So my answer is booting people up in the air. Because I've watched Ian Hendon in a, in a game at Underhill do that to one of our friends. In fact, two of our friends. And I remember him having a laugh on his face, a big smile on his face. So I think it's that. Yeah, and it's a fair answer. He did enjoy kicking people. But unfortunately, 
Ian Hendon, what made him laugh at this time, and he's clarified it with brackets afterwards as well, so I'll read the whole answer that he gave, is Borat brackets the Sasha Baron Cohen character. <laughs> in case we got anyone confused, with a different Borat. With another Borat. <laughs> so, not the other Borat and Barnet, that one in Kazakhstan or wherever he's from. Who's the other Borat um, and Barnet? Oh, I don't know. That's why Ian Hendon was clarifying because no ambiguity left I th- there. I think that's program editor putting that in just to be clear about exactly what it is. But you do not want to conf- confuse that with obviously Borat who lives down near the railway tavern. Yeah. Anyway, number eight then. What was the end of Paul Fairclough's sentence about the uh, ingredients we had in school? We've got the ingredients to what, James? Win the league again. Win the league again. Very good answer. Wrong. <laughs> Craig. We've got the ingredients to damage, destroy, annihilate and conquer. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the ingredients to bake a fine cake. <laughs> should have taken it a bit should have taken it a bit more literally. Yeah, not my words, boys. The words of Paul Fairclough. I would uh, have had that down as uh, one of Yakubu's interests as well, actually. Baking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, Roaring. He actually, in, in the paragraph after, I couldn't put it all into a question. The paragraph after it, Paul Fairclough goes on to explain how when we get it right, the football, the cake will be delicious. <laughs> what a wordsmith. Uh, number nine, then. The film that Martin Allen took the team to see Pre Staley Bridge Celtic at home, Craig. Something Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh, Jimbo. Well, on the basis of that, you think it's something like that. I, I was going to say something like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. It was a Texas Chainsaw. I reckon Massacre. I, I tell I didn't know the words, but I, I, I'm going to give him the point. I'm going to do it. Unbelievable. Tennis and tabletops are not the same thing. Seventeen. Ah, oh, well, how can that? How can you get Chainsaw Massacre and not be able to put the Texas in front of it? That's the most obvious answer. <laughs> I remember going. what it was called. I've got a tie-break question coming up anyway. I knew that there was a fucking massacre. I didn't know where it was, all right? Um, Unbelievable. Fantastic. Anyway. It's good memory, uh, So we'll, we'll call that one all, yeah. Martin Allen, in his parents, went on to say that he was, uh, he found the film with a good chance to get let him catch up on some sleep. Um, and he was still trying to find the culprit who wake him up throwing popcorn at him. These were in the manager's programme notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts ahead of the game. <laughs> oh, so many fantastic things in that 0304 box of mine. Um, right, and the final uh, question of the original 10, I've got a feeling we may end up going to a tie break here. <laughs> Number 10, <laughs> what did Craig Clayton suggest that all we all join the BFCSA in doing in his programme notes against Atkinson in 2007? James, I'll let you answer first. I'm going to say that Craig was trying... Uh, to make Underhill a great place to be. <laughs> it's good, but it's not right. Uh, Craig, some sort of inference that we should get behind the lads. Do you want to elaborate on that a little more? All I've got is get behind the lads. No, it's broader than that. Craig Clayton suggested <laughs> that we all join the BFCSA in looking on the bright side of life. <laughs> <laughs> One of the least likely things that happen inside the BFCSA. Um... Okay, so it's a draw. Oh, there's a fucking shock. It's a 1-1 one, one draw. Controversial 1-1 one, one draw. Um, it's going to be fingers on the buzzers for this. Oh. Uh, so, I want to know who answered this question with the following answer. 
Would you like your daughters to go into women's football? I know the answer. Paul Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just check the, what he said. No, not really. Personally, I like girls doing feminine stuff. <laughs> I know my daughters like to play football, but I wouldn't like them to do it in a full-time way. I do like watching women's football, though, and I think it's great, but I wouldn't want them to be involved. Paul Wilson. <laughs> Craig is the winner of the Daniel second half. I can't Jesus. believe that. I can't believe that. <laughs> I hope there's as much. I hope there's as much response to the farce that was that quiz on Twitter on the message board. I've been royally done over there. Merry Christmas. I'm off. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this nonsense and a little bit of seriousness thrown in there as well. Um, as we said at the beginning of the show, we are really grateful for all the support uh, and kind comments we've received on the podcast up to now. We'll see where we go in the future, but it's been brilliant doing it. And we thank you again for uh, your involvement and enjoyment of it. Um, and hopefully you enjoyed this one too. Merry Christmas. Have a fantastic one. And uh, wishing everyone a better 2021 than a 2020. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate everything you've uh, done in supporting us. Yep, completely agree with that. Um, thank you for all the interaction, certainly on the last episode as well, but all the episodes before that around our guests, it's been, it's been fun both doing them and responding to the things that you've come back to us with. So, uh, yeah, have a great Christmas, enjoy yourselves and we'll see you in the new year. And stay safe. Cheers. I'll take Robinson on. Most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ray, I can't it. Lovely stuff from